Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into our both most forgotten work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Signature 8.1. Um, and we finally get the answer to the question, who will be our new point of view? And it's Buttsack, a goblin. Uh, and it was a bold choice by Wildbo to have a goblin as our point of view character protagonist here, but I think it'll pan out. I'm interested to see it. Oh, I didn't notice the difference um. <laughs> between Blake and a between Blake and a hideous goblin. That's uh, that's solid, Elliot. Nice. Uh, no, I I I really like this as a way to start. Um, what I'm assuming will be like a Maggie arc. Mm. Uh, no, the first half of each chapter in Arcade is a goblin, <laughs> and the second half is a different practitioner. So, I mean, I could, really I bounces could around. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, because I mean, obviously, Maggie is fond of saying that dealing with goblins brings you down to their level, and like opening with a goblin kind of shows us exactly what their level is. Yeah, it's pretty fucking horrifying. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, it really, sort of sets the uh, sets the stakes for you know what. What Maggie keeps, what Maggie could turn into, uh, <laughs> I guess, basically. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, and we so so we're seeing a goblin kind of from its own perspective, right? Which is interesting. It, it's basically exactly what you'd expect, um, but it is still kind of alien um, and very like hateful, very spiteful. Not that that's a surprise, just that it's a interesting kind of point of view to have your protagonist, I guess, or your whatever your your point of view character. Basically just hating everything and anything that they see. Um, yeah, like, he's such an arsehole and he's such an angry <laughs> arsehole. Yeah. Uh, like, he, he's he's just kind of evil, like, I guess. Like, every description of a person is entirely focused around just hateful words or how ugly they are or some physical feature that the goblin thinks is terrible. Uh, it, it's, it's obviously super off-putting, but I also find it kind of... Yeah, I also find it kind of funny because, like, goblins at the same time seem to kind of pride them or define themselves by how, like, ugly and, and, and yeah. like, silly they were. Well, you know, like, uh, Buttsack himself is, like, short, fat, he's got really loose skin, yep. kind of gross. And then, and then you know, he's making fun of, of one girl for having cankles. Mm. Um, and it's just like... Uh, wait, it's not even hypocritical. It's just kind of like I, I don't. It, 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 <laughs> he's it's just like, a dick. It's like the yeah. level beyond that. Yeah, he's just he's just yeah. being spiteful. Was a great word for it that you used. Like that. It's just yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Buttsack is an interesting guy. Uh, he basically is just going around pranking people, stealing shit, and and basically just being being a dick, right? Like, yeah. There's no other way to say it. <laughs> Um, but I like how it escalates. Like, I think the first few things he does, I was sort of like, oh, <laughs> what an asshole. Um, but kind of laughing along a bit. Like, obviously, I wouldn't be okay if, like, a human w- went around doing some of these things. Mm. But he was a goblin, so I was, like, expecting bad things. So I was just kind of like, oh, you know, well, these are just annoying or inconvenient. Like, you know, having a wallet stolen or something. It's just like, obviously, yeah. it sucks, so but it's it, not, it doesn't, it's takes, not life-ruining. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he takes people's, like, credit cards and sticks them down a storm drain. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, until we get to later where he does some of the really heinous shit. Yeah, exactly. So at first I was sort of like laughing along a bit going, oh, these goblins, what a pain in the ass!" And then he sort of keeps going, I'm like, oh my God, these goblins. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing that was interesting to me is, I don't know if we kind of had this confirmed or not, but Buttsack is able to use some some magic. He He knows some little magic things that he can do to kind of bypass his inbuilt limitations, right? Um, mm. He kind of, 
uh, moistens himself uh, in order to get over like a threshold. And he's also able to obviously kind of manipulate perceptions inherently just to, you know, to keep people from from noticing him. Um, some cool little tricks that Buttsack has. Yeah, I feel like every time we meet a goblin, I'm getting more appreciation for how varied they are. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, I com- mean, compared yeah. to the, on paper, Buttsack is the same sort of thing as the hyena. Yeah. Um, and uh, the goblins that attacked Maggie's hometown, which were like yeah. very evil. And it's very much like a weird spectrum for goblins. Yeah. Um, and, but there's some cool, I, I, again, just to sort of call back to what we talked about a lot last chapter, there's some neat Xeno fiction where, uh, Bart Sack talks about this sort of metal sense he has, mm, you know, he can yep. sense where metal is and he feels kind of claustrophobic or like he's suffocating a bit while he's inside surrounded by the metal. And he says he's separated from whatever gives him power, which is, um, like just, just an interesting concept, but it really, I just love how simply all these completely alien things get conveyed to us, uh, very quickly in the chapter yeah yeah um so the overall rating for buttsack is that he's a pretty good bre- uh, predator like he's if he was doing more heinous shit it would be really bad but he's obviously kind of just p- pulling pranks to fuck with people i don't know yeah i mean i get the impression that the goblins that do more serious stuff don't get to last very long now that yeah. humans are really the top of the food chain and and so buttsack is yeah buttsack is just smart enough to know where that line is but yeah but i mean smack yeah. is also a great name for a goblin <laughs> um yeah but no you're right he is a good predator I, I mean i think maybe not the best predator in the whole chapter but we'll get to that uh, at the end <laughs> okay um so yeah so uh we basically buttsack is as he's doing these things he's kind of contemplating his own origins um kind of thinking about different stories that have been exchanged amongst goblins about where they come from and why metal is like bad to them um yeah it's just a fun little bit of world building from inside the head of a goblin man this bit was so awesome i loved it uh like i had been kind of wondering where things like goblins and and fairy as well fit into this world um yeah with things like fantasy, when you set up humans as different to everything else, which Pact has sort of done, yeah, uh, humans are unique to everything else that's supernatural, uh, or even natural, or to even extent. you know, like dolphins or chimpanzees or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. Unless there so- are chimpanzee practitioners around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get to that arc soon. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, so so when you sort of set out humans as a, as a bit different, to me that sort of means that everything else kind of has to fit into the puzzle that is yeah. the universe, Yeah, I, I guess. And I'd been wondering where fairies and goblins sat on that because, you know, we've had it explained for a lot of the other big things. And I love I love these explanations. That I mostly love the first one. I actually agree with Buttsack that the first one, that they're just sort of leftover skin flakes and stuff gaining sentience uh is, <laughs> is a really cool explanation yeah and yeah i just i just love this whole section this is exactly the kind of uh world building stuff that like gets me really excited yeah yeah so uh, the first explanation is that they're like the the skin flakes and the hair that falls off of you know humans that kind of clumped together and became goblins um and the second ep- explanation is they're kind of like fallen fairies i suppose um which well, does explain some stuff like fairies and, and goblins are both bad with like worked metal yeah. <laughs> so who knows 
Yeah, I, well, I got the impression that the fairy explanation was more fairies were humans and in trying to make themselves better, they discarded the bad parts and so that yeah. was goblins. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, you're right. There's a number of levels that doesn't work on, m- mostly the fact that fairies are just as much assholes as goblins. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, <laughs> who's to say goblins are the bad parts and fairies are the good parts, right? Yeah, like, like fairies look attractive is really the only thing that so far seems to make them more pleasant than goblins. Uh, yeah, from what I've seen. Uh, also, I love how uh, Butsack calls them the unfair folk. Like that's such a that's such a great <laughs> so shit talking name. Yeah, yeah it, it works on so many levels. I, I loved it. Yeah. Um, so Butsack is going around on his prank journey, and he eventually kind of makes his way to the fe- uh, the girls' bathroom in a school, where he's kind of walked in on in his pranking journeys by a Duchamp who notices him and just kind of lets him do his thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we find out that that the Duchamps at least have a kind of a deal with the goblins to basically just l- live and let live, which is. Kind of sh- shitty, right? It's kind of wild. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, f- from the way Butsack phrases it, I don't think it's just the Duchamps. It seems to me like at least the Bahames as well, because yeah. he says he says families p- plural. But uh, y- yeah, I can see why this deal would have been made because it's presumably a massive pain in the ass to try and deal with all the goblins. And yeah, I, I imagine it's one of those things where when you clean the area up, new ones have already arrived by the time you you finish doing a sweep. But Oh, yeah, of course. Um, like, this, as the Duchamp walks in, as Lola walks in, the goblin is lacing this girl's medicine with what I think might have been heroin or, or heroin cocaine. Heroin or cocaine, something like, like that. Obviously it, something it, that is an, a bad narcotic. Yeah, yeah. Either way, just ignoring that is pretty fucked up. Right? <laughs> like, okay, I, I get the idea of, like, they're they're pervasive enough that you can't just tackle them, sure, but- Lola, as we later learn her name is, she she completely lets this go. And it's so fucked up. <laughs> like, there's no way, for all Blake's flaws, there's no way he would just see a goblin dosing a, a poor girl's, like, medicine and just turn the other cheek. I, I mean, I guess the non-interference pact goes both ways. So, mm. like, for all we know, Lola was internally outraged um, by all this and... It's it's hard to tell because Butsack's uh, focus doesn't really land there, so mm. I can't imagine him caring enough. So I, I guess we could give her the benefit of the uh, the benefit of the doubt and assume that like her seemingly being angry at him was because she was angry that she can't do anything about this. Mm. Uh, but this whole deal of letting the goblins just do their thing sort of reeks of the whole like this is just the way things are. Uh, yeah, that, that kind of defines these these old Jacobs Bell families. Yeah, it definitely puts me back in mind of um, a younger Grandma Rose trying to break the wheel, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, th- I mean, this is the exact kind of thing that shouldn't be allowed to happen. <laughs> uh, so so Butsack finishes drugging an innocent young girl and tries to pick another innocent young girl to fuck with, uh, but accidentally picks Maggie. Um who seems to have just been also kind of waiting for the right opportunity to to bind him. <laughs> um, so, Maggie, I think I can throw shade on you here f- for also letting this poor girl get drugged. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, I don't know. you gotta, you got to pick your battles there. Well, yes. And I guess if, if, uh, if this other girl had just seen Maggie throw a chain around, I don't know what she would have seen. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, probably that that has its great. own issues. 
Anyway, yeah. so Maggie basically binds Buttsack and he feels his power drain out of him. Uh, suck it, Buttsack. Yeah, I was going to say eat shit, but he'd probably like that. So yeah. uh, eat metal. Yeah, suck I don't it. Know. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, and that's uh, that's the end of our Buttsack uh, yeah. POV for now. I do like how it's never actually said that it's Maggie in, in Buttsack's little section of the chapter. It's just some girl, and she gets a brief description, but like for, for me, really, there's a bit where it says she has a checkered scarf, and it's just oh, like, yeah. oh, good. Yeah, this is Maggie. Like a, you, yeah. You're already sort of suspecting it, but I just love how she's got that distinct uh, uniform. Uh, or <laughs> yeah, look totally. That just, you're instantly just like, yep, yeah, okay, good, that's Maggie. Yeah, and of course, any time goblins are mentioned, your head kind of goes to, when's Maggie going to show up? Um, so yeah. I think we were expecting this, but it's still great. It's a, it's definitely like, oh, yeah, okay, here we go. Let's let's get into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, our perspective shifts. We are now following Maggie, uh, who finishes binding this goblin and kind of chats with Lola Duchamp. And they're, they're basically bantering back and forth uh, with Lola landing some, some pretty stone-cold blows <laughs> on Maggie. Um, and it's clear they're not friends. Yeah, I think this is going to turn into a brief section of Elliot and Ruben take turns pulling quotes out because uh, there's so mm. much to talk about here. Uh, mm. So I, I guess I'll go first. Um, so Maggie talks about how she's an anarchist and uh, Lola responds, anarchy doesn't work. Uh, she picked up a, a fleck of black near one eye with a fingernail. It doesn't work for countries. As personal philosophies go, it's fantastic. Until you realize you're utterly alone, Lola said. Are you happy being alone? Maggie shrugged. Mm. And, uh, I mean, this is something I think the chapter touches on quite a few times, but, like, Maggie just seems really fucking lonely and kind of desperate for, a, like, a human connect or peers, I guess, because obviously, mm. um, it- it's interesting because she has her dads and we saw in her interlude that, like, her dads are pretty cool and she got along with them. So, um, I'm- I'd be interested to see how practitioning, I guess, has put a wedge in that relationship and now she seems really desperate to, to just connect with anyone or anything uh but we'll get there um yeah i think like maggie yeah the way maggie opens this this convo a bit later with like uh are we friends now to lola i I think maggie (laughs) would say she was being sarcastic but uh i'm not so sure she was yeah um yeah i guess uh maggie's loneliness is a is a theme that we're going to touch on a bit throughout this chapter but yeah I, i agree that she's obviously close with her dads but well she she really well, she was, of course. Um, she, she really, now that she's in this whole practitioner world, she just wants, she needs connections, right? And and all the other practitioners her age are either Duchamp's or Bahames, which are kind of, by definition, not really going to be friendly with her uh, because of who she is and because of what happened basically as soon as she got into town. Um, yeah, well, and, and practitioning has forced her to keep a number of secrets from her dad. It's like, you know, we know that she's sort of lying to them about how much she's going to school. Like, she's yeah. she's sort of technically uh, telling the truth there, and they obviously don't know about Molly. So I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it turns out she's not anywhere near as close with her dads as she was, uh, what was it, like six months ago um, yeah. when her interlude took place. Yeah, no, I can buy that too. Um, and I think the the kind of uh, idea of loneliness that we get here really does uh, lend some more weight to how we kind of saw her getting a bit too close for comfort to Blake back in Toronto. Mm. Um, yeah, anyway. I agree. I think that might just be her latching onto a connection that seems to be at least somewhat reciprocated and, and maybe like overdoing it. Yes, and it's 
considering the suspicious circumstances about her leaving Toronto, uh, leaving Jacob's Bell, it it seems likely that we might get something that pushes her further away from from uh, the Bahams and the Duchamps. Uh, yeah, pretty soon. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. Um, so one of the blows that Lola lands here, which I think is fucking stone cold, is Maggie's being like, "Oh, you know, you could be like me; it'd be great." And Lola's response is, "Oh, do tell. How long do I have before I'm killing people in cold blood, Maggie?" And Maggie's just like stopped dead in her tracks by this. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty full on. Uh, and I mean, it hits Maggie really hard. Uh, Molly's death already in this chapter has kind of been established as a huge divining part of her current mentality yeah. like it seems like almost as much as what happened back in her hometown it's currently driving her actions uh yeah she really is, does seem to be penitent like trying to kind of self-flagellate a fair amount yeah well i mean it it defines what she does in this chapter a lot more than or directly uh like her thinking about it yeah it affects what she does a lot more than like what happened six months ago so it's yeah it's really sort of defined who she currently is as a practitioner yeah um yeah definitely uh i want to pull out another line which is uh (laughs) maggie kind of is is on the back foot ever since the previous line i pulled out in this conversation and then kind of manages to claw back a bit of face by saying to lola my metaphorical cockroaches, talking about the goblins here, could slit your throat and drop a dookie in the wound, Maggie said. And and this is kind of disgusting enough that Lola is a bit lost for words, but it definitely doesn't feel like a victory. And it really sets up the dynamic of Lola being clearly cleverer and better with her words, and Maggie's just kind of like lashing out with random vulgarity. Um, she's not great in this wordplay. No, I mean, it reminds me of how I would... Well, it's a very... What's the word I'm looking for? It's a very sort of minor example of what I would think a conversation between a goblin and a fairy would sort of be like. Yes, uh, totally. Obviously, obviously, we know the Duchamps are, are friends of the fairy, and, you know, Waller's kind of mixing her words, you know, like, in, inserting these insults into more casual-sounding conversations, whereas Maggie's just like, yeah. oh, shit in your neck wound. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's it's a great little uh, conversation between the two of them. Yes, the practitioner is definitely taking on forms of the other here. Um, yeah, yeah, which is fun. Uh, so yeah, they're kind of talking back and forth, and a lot of it is Lola kind of getting more of a feel for Maggie. I would say, kind of feeling out her motivations and her choice of company, especially with Blake, uh, who Lola kind of obviously has a problem with, as she's indoctrinated to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we get out what we've come to already see as our standard Diabolist and Thorburn bad speech. Uh, I I think it's interesting, like, Maggie's willingness to just sort of challenge this assumption that Blake is the worst because he's a Thorburn um, mm. and the others all blindly, blindly having accepting it uh, kind of fits into what we've talked a bit about how the old families are these weighed-down institutions that are keeping the system going and, and you know, Maggie's a bit of a reckless wildcard i guess sort of challenging the system a bit yeah definitely um i i think she definitely is quite uh anti-authority right like she just uh, well, she was talking about anarchy authority. before yeah uh yeah she she really just wants to i don't know she i i get the sense she wants to kind of prove that she's worth whatever it is that she's trying to prove that she's worth right and and yeah. by kind of distancing herself from authority and saying hey i can do this on my own that's her i don't know trying to trying to prove herself um it's worth mentioning that this conversation kind of clears up the timeline for us a bit uh where blake has gone to toronto but 
uh, Maggie isn't in Toronto, obviously. So uh, we're somewhere in that time frame of, of a few days. Yeah, I mean, even just the fact that she has met Blake and re- still remembers Blake yeah. gives us a very narrow window to work with. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, presumably Blake is in Toronto right now fighting Pose or, or the, the Hyena, hyena or yeah. Duncan, <laughs> you know, one of the three. I hope it's Duncan. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> uh, like that guy. So I, I think the last bit we'll pull out from this uh, Maggie and Lola section is the bit yeah. where... Maggie thinks about uh, Lola's style or her look because uh, obviously Lola has sort of been defined to us in, uh, so far in this chapter by the fact that she has like green eyeshadow and a bunch of piercings. Yeah. And uh, Maggie thinks even her walk was graceful. Take away the makeup and the piercings and she was such a Duchamp. It was so disappointing. The style could have been a small rebellion, but no. Can't help but wonder how that... Uh, can't help but wonder how that works with the whole arranged marriage thing, Maggie thought. Is it by choice and she goes back to normal when the Duchamps want her to? Does she define herself the way she wants and they find a partner willing to take her? Or is that look purely because the Duchamps wanted a girl with that particular style for a particular husband? Mm. Uh, Whatever the choice, it was gross. And uh, I think that shows to us that Maggie can be really surgical with her words if she wanted to, because that's that's fucking stone cold, right? Like, saying to Lola, oh, you think this is a rebellion, but actually you're just doing this because now the Duchamps can find a husband who wants a bit of an alternative girl, like, fuck, that would cut her so deep. I, and I think as well, like, obviously it goes into the whole fake looks thing, and we already talked about the fairy goblin comparison we're drawing between yeah. these two in this conversation, but... uh. Like, again, it just reminds me how fucked up the whole Duchamp situation is that uh, you can't even be sure that any individuality they express is genuine individuality or part of the act. Uh, Oh, God. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty grim. Um, Anyway, let's not think about that too much. So (laughs) uh, Maggie and Lola are kind of waiting to get their late slips so they can get into class um, when suddenly the Briar girl shows up. Uh, (laughs) And, of course, the Briar girl looks like a teenager, so she's not too out of place, but... She's, she's just, she really isn't meant to be in this situation. And it's kind of hilarious off the bat. Um, the principal goes over to interrupt her and kind of talk to her. And the Briar girl is just like, no, I'm trying to meet somebody. Can you tell me where they are? And the principal's like, no, you have to go to class. And the Briar girl's like, doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. She basically gives zero fucks this yeah. entire scene. And it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very fun. Um, although, you know, the Briar girl showing up randomly is obviously not a good sign. Um, mm. she, <laughs> she's, she, she kind of just looks like a regular dirty kind of young girl when they, when they look at her. But, um, the Briar girl doesn't tell us who she's here to meet. Uh, but when Lola goes over to talk to her, Lola and the bride girl keep kind of sneakily looking at Maggie and she catches them. And this is like, I don't know what this even means. Well, I mean, bride girl's at the meeting that they have after school. So I assume yes. she was kind of here for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but at the at the time when I'm reading this and yeah, she doesn't yeah. say who she's here to meet, but Lola and the bride girl keep looking at Maggie. I'm just like, something's fucking going down. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh also, Maggie uses a goblin ear that's still bloody uh, <laughs> to try and listen in, but Lola cuts it off. Uh, and Maggie gets real jealous of the um, power that would have taken because that was like, it would be a lot for her, but it's clearly just something Lola can <laughs> spend uh, yeah. whenever she wants. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the whole class structure, sort of, you know, uh, the Duchamp and Behame families representing kind of old money families yeah. uh, is pretty blatant here. Yeah. Um, 
And then, yeah, Maggie goes back to class. And I love how we end this sort of school section with Maggie thinking, you know, I've got all this uh, fire, darkness and blood coming my way, but I can just be nice to Blake and, and it'll all be okay. Yeah. Because uh, he'll give me the library. In. <laughs> well, yeah. 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 Well, we'll see. Um, yeah. I love the idea of the goblin ear because I think it, maybe it's earlier, maybe it's here. I don't know. But Maggie thinks that she was kind of given it in a in a bartering session from a goblin. And I yeah. love the idea of her kind of binding a goblin and this goblin being like, wait, wait, wait. Here, let me cut <laughs> off my own ear and I'll give you that instead. And Maggie's like, yeah, okay, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> goblins, man. <laughs> um, so we jump ahead to the end of the school day and Lola has kind of asked Maggie to meet her outside of the school and Maggie rocks up and it's all the young practitioners, uh, some Bahames, some Duchamps, uh, Briar Girls there and uh, the, fair- the fairy, of course, are all here to kind of chat to Maggie. Yeah, it's basically like the young justice of Jacob's Bell. Um, yeah. It it reminded me of uh, Eamon and, and Rose Senior a bit uh, when they first sort of got together and started planning their breaking of the wheel. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm almost starting to wonder if this uh, like naive belief that they can break the wheel is something that like every generation goes through. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it does kind of seem that way, doesn't it? Yeah, because, yeah, like I, I could totally believe that. But I, so I guess we'll see. I, I don't know exactly where that thread's going, but that, that could be one option. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Jacobs Bell Young Justice Group uh, are kind of proposing a, a truce with Maggie, right? Um, they they won't be enemies with her. In fact, they'll kind of actively help her and, and give her stuff uh, like, you know, power, which is what she wants um, yeah. on the condition that she doesn't, one, doesn't interfere in Toronto and two, stops being friends with Blake. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think there's there's a lot to say here and, and how she handles it and, and the, the nature of the offer. But like, I, I think the first thing we ought to sort of say is, like, this seems like a pretty good deal, right? It's a good, um, it's a great deal. It's exactly what she wants, right? Like it's, they, they literally have picked exactly what she wants and, and basically are saying, hey, we'll give you what you want and you won't have to be involved with any hassles, but just mm. don't make any trouble and you'll get what you want. And it's like, yeah, that's basically exactly what she wants, right? I mean, basically, the big thing here is is essentially the guarantee that if if a lord does show up and it's one of the Bahames or the Duchamps, she's basically guaranteed to be able to keep a place much higher up than she currently has uh, yes. in Jacob's Bell. Like, you know, she would be subordinate is something she brings up. But I mean, you know, she'd be- She already good, is. So. Yeah. <laughs> she'd be in a good, safe position in a town yeah. that's increasing. And that, wait, that, that's potentially very valuable. So obviously, yeah, there's, there's a lot yes, to like about yeah. this deal. Yeah, and Maggie does like it, um, with the interesting caveat that we know that she goes and helps in Toronto. So something's obviously going to go wrong with this deal, but it, she 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 goes for it. She's like, "Yes, totally. Uh, put it on, put it in writing, and I'll and I'll buy it." Basically, yeah, exactly. So as you said, we know we know it's not quite going to work out because obviously she uh well she ends up in Toronto or does she? Mm. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh, wait i think yeah the interesting bit here again is like uh i've forgotten led's son's name um yeah he he implies that led and sandra are at least somewhat aware of this whole yes. shebang uh that's yeah. going on and uh, and they approve it, of it yeah exactly and so that i mean that makes it worse for maggie because like led is a big no-no for her um yeah for for obvious reasons uh yep but it does remind me a bit of again Eamon and uh rose senior sort of trying to 
help the next generation like have more freedom like i guess mm. uh, you know led sort of advising them in how to do their own stuff uh while they're still kids seems to me like he's maybe you know helping them sort of tr- try to prepare things for themselves not building this empire that he will then hand down to them with a bunch of stipulations yeah look it is it's good it's good practical uh practitioner parenting so good job led um <laughs> congratulations yeah you've i mean done you know, at least something right I mean, we know that a couple of days from now, all these behind kids are going to be gone because they're going to be fighting like yes. demons in a police station. But, yeah. uh, you know, for now, he's doing a great job. Yeah, presumably they're not <laughs> going to be the most friendly to Maggie uh, in the next few days after kind of where she aligns herself. No, that's a very good point. Um, anyway, uh, so Maggie, before she kind of takes a deal, though, she she does stand up for Blake. She She... She basically points out what he's been saying, that he's he's kind of <laughs> being forced into a terrible position by everyone just wanting to fuck with him all the time. Um, yeah, like, it's totally fair points. And, of course, the response from one of the Duchamps is, uh, you, you like him, don't you? <laughs> like, okay, yeah, that's the, that's the lens that they have to process that through because, of course, they can't comprehend that he's not just, like, a bad dude. Yeah. I don't know. This moment was interesting because on the one hand, I was so happy to see someone stand up for Blake and just make sense uh, and be like, you know, he's not an asshole. He's been put in a shit situation. But yeah. then on the other hand, I couldn't help but picturing, you know, like in, when you play the Telltale games and you do something mm. and it's like, you know, X will remember that. Um, <laughs> it was like, everyone will remember that um, yeah. sort of flashing through my head. Like, uh, I, I really respect <sighs> Maggie for standing up for Blake like this, but I also couldn't help but feel that it probably wasn't accomplishing anything good. Uh, yes. I mean, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't ruin anything yet. Yeah. Every time that she stands up for Blake, it, it just reminds me of like, Blake is about to kill Laird and Maggie has clearly <laughs> allied herself to Blake. Yeah. Things are going to go bad. <laughs> like, it's just like, this is just going to... Yeah. Anyway. Um, so there's one other quote that I want to pull out here where Joanna, who you'll remember <laughs> is the, the, the Duchamp that, uh, Blake had a little sword fight with the familiar of. Um, Joanna says, yeah, he could have been meaner when he beat Latita. He scared me, though, him and the woman he was with. Um, basically reaffirming that uh, Blake could have actually been worse, um, which seems like Blake is or was making progress with kind of deprogramming these teens, right? Um, maybe it would have worked over a long enough period of time, but we'll never know now, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, so so Blake does stand up. Uh, sorry, Maggie stands up for Blake, but is keen to take the deal. So she says, "Write it up, put it on paper, so I can actually, you know, check the the terms and conditions, and then yeah. I'll sign it." Um, and and they're like, "All right, cool." And Maggie heads off uh, with with Padraig in tow, of course. Uh, yes. Um, so before we get to that, uh, I mean, it, it's hard not to. Like it, well, it's hard to be angry at Maggie for kind of wanting to take this deal. Oh yeah, it's totally the right choice. I, uh, I would totally take that choice in her position, right? Like, yeah, it's it's too good a deal to not at least get the written copy and have a look at, uh, at the very least. And yeah, as we've already touched on, we know she's going to end up in Toronto, so it'll be interesting to see how things go to shit uh, in the in the middle. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's a great deal. Um, now, okay, so pa- Patrick is, is going along with Maggie and they're kind of talking and I want to put, put on our tinfoil hats here for a second because Maggie doesn't call Patrick Patrick. Maggie calls Patrick Patrick, right? The anglicized version of, of that, you know, Celtic or Irish name, right? Um, which isn't a big deal, but it is interesting to me because this whole part is about 
Patrick. I'm just going to switch between the two <laughs> names now, I guess. Um, it's about Patrick basically like trying to humanize himself to Maggie. Um, and it's, it just feels like one other little, little stick added to the pile of like, this is some really shady shit going on. Yeah. Um, no, I think Parahumans has kind of conditioned us to, uh, be sensitive to these name distinctions. Uh, mm. and, yeah, I think Maggie distinguishes between Patrick and Padrick uh, mm. based on what face he's wearing because he sort of peels one face off halfway through and uh, reveals what she calls his true face, but I very much doubt is any less artificial uh, based on the yeah. descriptions of it. Um, and I think this whole thing where, yeah, he's sort of helping her humanize him or feel like she gets to see his secret real face, it's yeah. still part of like what I would describe as him like grooming her basically yeah totally um he he's being very creepy and manipulative and there's there'll be a lot more to talk about uh as we go on but yeah as as he sort of reveals this real face uh that i i yeah as i said i very much doubt is real uh <laughs> i very much got this sense of like how much he is manipulating her yeah i i, I get like major twilight vibes here where uh Patrick is basically trying to play a bit of the kind of like outsider a bit of a loner kind of uh ethereal kind of character and but you oh maggie you could you could come in you could help me you could help improve me and and um he's basically trying to woo her right and she is falling for it she knows she is falling for it she feels herself falling for it well i mean she talks at length about this face and and the sense of danger she mm. sort of feels looking at it and how it kind of exhilarates her. And it's just yeah. this whole persona and face has been crafted to basically target uh, weaknesses, feels like the wrong word. But, you know, yeah. Patrick has probably zeroed in on the fact that she's desperate for connections. Yeah. And and he has crafted this persona, presumably, to take advantage of that and, and uh, <sighs> you know, get her to trust him more than she should. Yeah. and And not just that. Like, he... He knows that she's too smart to just, like, fall for a stupid story, right? And so he's still playing a bit of the dangerous bad boy because that lets her be like, no, he's trying to woo me and I can stay away from it. And yet she she kind of lets herself play into it because she thinks she knows that she kind of knows it. It's, it's a very, like, multi-layered, very fairy-esque trap. And Maggie yeah. kind of knows this. Maggie knows that there's layers here and she's probably kind of playing into it, but she can't help she, it. Yeah, she she does it anyway. It's um, uh it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I mean it reminded me of uh Blake and and reading Black Lamb's Blood with the lawyers. Like it's one of those things where you you know exactly what they're doing to you and it still works. Yeah. Uh, and you just can't help it because it it's so well thought out that it it just <sighs> it beats you even though you know what's coming. Yeah, um, it's, yeah. I, I think Maggie and Blake are inexperienced enough to not kind of realise that <laughs> other other people have been in their situations before, other smart people, and it's not... Maggie kind of has this idea of like, oh, I know it's going on, so but I won't let it happen to me. And it's like, Maggie, that's, that's what they all thought. <laughs> don't, yeah. I, don't I, think I don't that, she... Maggie. She actually does have one moment where she thinks that the fact that she is thinking that she knows what's going on is part of it. So oh, like, yeah. I, I think she is aware enough to know that that's, it's just one of those things where uh, it's it's just too effective. Even when yeah. you know what's going on, there's just nothing she can do because it's so yeah. well targeted. Um, like, I, I don't know what else we could really expect her to do. Um, 
Yeah. You know, this whole thing where uh, she's like, oh, can you stay here? And Patrick's like, oh, well, I'll need a favor. And the favor is he gets to teach her something. And it's like, it just sets off so many, like, alarms yeah. in your head. <laughs> yeah. And Maggie's just there and she's like, oh, I-, I just have to take this. Like, he, and he knows that I can't yeah. turn something like this down. It's, uh, oh, it's hard to watch. Maggie. Maggie. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's grim. Um, but eventually they kind of reach their destination and, uh, we, we find out where Maggie has been going because she looks and she sees an echo of Molly. Um, she's at Molly's grave. And so Maggie pricks her, pricks her hand, kind of draws blood and, and uses this blood to feed power into Molly's ghost, uh, strengthening it and, and, and keeping it alive. Oh man, this hit me so hard. Uh, well, like we, we already knew this far in that the murder was a pretty defining part of maggie as she currently is yeah and this really takes it up a notch uh the fact that she's clearly like perhaps daily going and visiting this grave and and empowering the molly echo like not letting her go yeah and i mean you've almost got to wonder like is this healthy like like maybe (sighs) i I could see arguments both ways for whether this is a good or bad thing you know you She's, she's trying to make up for what she did, but is this actually in any way really making up for it? Like, she's just prolonging Molly's suffering almost? Like, we don't know enough about Molly yeah. where Molly's at, but it's, um, it, I mean, you know, should they both be allowed to move on? Should they not? It's 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 an interesting uh, yes. situation. A- and it's clearly pretty blurry where the line is for how how Molly is this, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, this Molly doesn't say anything, which is a pretty big trigger of like, okay, this isn't actually human. But it it has made a protective circle, like it has made some warding, and it's like, well, that doesn't seem like a normal ghost thing to do. Like, where yeah. where where exactly is this echo? Um, I mean, t- to be fair, the reason Molly, or part of the reason Molly, or that Molly's echo yeah, doesn't Molly, say anything, yeah. um, is because the chapter ends with uh, Maggie opening like the conversation. So for all we know, Molly yeah. talks back to her. Uh, Yes, I guess I guess we'll see, but uh, I I I loved that as well that that sort of revelation that Maggie just starts telling her about her day and it's like the only friend she's got is the yeah. person she murdered. It's so tragic. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah, it, it definitely gives that vibe of like Molly is just kind of I don't know. It's bad because it's it's um it puts me in mind of like a Black Mirror episode, like that one where the wife like uh, reincarnates her husband through his Facebook uh, posts. The the Haley Atwell one, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like that's so fucked up, like it's so messed up. But maybe if you're actually bringing her back, it's okay. Like I don't know, I don't know. It's a very much a wait and see kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, no, this is this is uh, it's a fantastic development, like in terms of just how interested i am in in where this is gonna go yeah uh yeah uh, and and that's, I mean, uh that, that, yeah i mean that's kind of my summary of the chapter like that's obviously how the chapter ends and um i mean you know i i i'm very excited for the rest of this arc i'm assuming it's all maggie uh related still and uh i mean i've been a big maggie fan since day one i think so yeah this chapter made her seem like a hundred times even more fascinating than <laughs> than before so i'm so excited to see where all of this goes uh probably no way good if if you know what I mean, wait wait. Not, uh, not for I'm Maggie. sure it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have I, no red flags around Maggie at the moment, do we? 
<laughs> yeah, no, the fact that we opened a Maggie interlude arc with a goblin's perspective uh, doesn't send bad messages at all. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so, yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, uh, so, yeah, that's a, that's the end of our discussion about uh, Signature 8.1. But before we go, of course, uh, it's time to dive into some comments from five years ago when this chapter first came out um and uh see what people are talking about uh i i put out some comments uh, basically uh, there was a whole thread of discussion about the idea of like what's the difference between goblins and demons um because demons obviously kind of spread discontent and unhappiness and obviously goblins are also doing that uh buttsack is on a bit of a more minor scale than some of the stuff we've seen but it still does seem kind of comparable um no, I definitely, I definitely had a similar thought as I was reading the butt sack section of the chapter. The butt sack section of the chapter. There's something yeah. I don't think I'd say before. <laughs> um, but yeah, because it almost seems to me like it's kind of a technical difference. Like mm. goblins are part of the universe and they're just, their role is to make people miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe not just people. I don't know where they land on like other animal cruelty or whatever or or even like other supernatural things oh yeah sure we we know they don't like fairy but like you know (laughs) like if there are a bunch of goblins near isadora like i don't know how much they'd go out of their way to them to mess her life up if they thought they could do it without getting (laughs) killed isadora would be the best target for a goblin to prank because you just do the most minor stuff like you swap around filing in her office and i'm sure she would flip her shit (laughs) (laughs) um but but yeah so it's you know goblins are, are kind of designed to make life miserable and demons sort of fundamentally disrupt the universe. And and so mm. that distinction matters to, say, someone like Isadora, because she's so tied into the fabric of reality. But for, like, a normal human being, particularly an unawoken one, it kind of that just kind of seems like a, a very, like, technical definition. Yeah. Like, they're both making your life very miserable in different, in, in different ways, sure, like, uh, underlying. But, I mean, kind of the effects are still the same, uh, adjusting for magnitude or whatever. I, I mm. mean, it... For a normal person, I I think it's just a, a, a definitions thing. Yeah. I think the distinction that I really liked that a user named Story Eater uh, pulled out was that kind of goblins cause damage, yes, but demons cause damage and radiation. And, and that is the distinction that really makes them worse because when they fuck with somebody, everybody that person is around also gets fucked with as opposed to goblins, which are just kind of directly targeting a victim. Um, I think that might be an important distinction. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's true. Uh, but we've seen things like conquests can also have radiation. So uh, yeah. I think I think the radiation thing almost more ties into the nature of what a thing is. Like maybe if a goblin got strong enough, it would have a radiation of its own. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, true. Because we know that when Maggie deals with the goblins, she her hands get really stinky and shit. And that, that might just yeah. be the minor version of goblin radiation, right? Like just making yeah. things shitty around you. Yeah, Fair exactly. Yeah. So so yeah I, I I don't know um I I guess I guess we might see or we might not like you know this could be a fun little debate that continues mm. uh, post story comments uh, comments in the discussion thread please <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and so I pulled out a comment by Dina uh who and I'm just going to read the whole comment because it's a it's a nice short one uh, uh so Dina just says. I believe the fact that Maggie can't swear is due to a promise she made to her fathers. Mm. And, and we obviously don't know the origin of Maggie's no swearing yep. stuff, uh, but I love this as an explanation because I, I don't know why, but I'd always assumed in my head it was something to do with either a goblin or maybe like Padriac because mm. uh, we saw her interacting with him, you know, right at the start. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I like this idea that it's so much more 
not not just innocent but also stupid like the fact that she <laughs> yeah the fact that she would have lost it to her father's almost makes it worse in a way because it wasn't a high stakes situation it was she just almost, a fuck up yeah she just did a bit of a rose senior uh and just said something stupid probably not long after awakening and now she's stuck with it yeah like you can very Im- easily imagine her one of her dads being like oh don't swear and her saying oh i won't and yeah then, and oh, then that's there you it go. <laughs> yeah um yeah totally um yeah and that's uh that's all our discussion about signature 8.1 uh for for now and forever obviously uh, we're not going <laughs> to come back to this chapter unless i don't know maybe some stuff in here will be kind of put into a new context and we'll we'll redo this episode again in a year's time um but maybe not probably not uh, but if you want more of Signature, you'll have to wait until this Friday when we release our episode on 8.2. Uh, that's the 12th. But if you can't wait that long, uh, we've already mentioned the discussion thread that will be in the show notes below this very episode. Mm. And you can jump in there and talk to us and everyone else about 8.1. Yes, uh, and if even that can't quench your discussion appetite, the best place to go is the Doof Discord, which is a, a great perk that's available to anybody who backs... Uh, the Doof Media Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash doofmedia. Uh, there's a bunch of great conversation happening in there all times, um, including a lot of Mario Maker code sharing. So that's reason yes. enough, I think. Yes. Uh, if you've got Mario Maker levels, become a patron and send them to us. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll stream ourselves playing them if, you, if you're if you into that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you if you want information on or more information on the perks you get for becoming a doof patron you can head to doofmedia.com and see all of the rest of the shows in the doof network in action yes uh, other great shows such as we've got ward which is of course another uh wild bow centric discussion podcast um, yes podcasts like this wouldn't exist of course without wild bow so if you have the money to spare make sure you go to his patreon and support him as well which is patreon.com slash Yes, and uh, apart from that, we'll see you on Friday the 12th for 8.2. See you then.